0: As you may know, we are currently working through a series called Reset, Following Jesus in the New Normal. The whole purpose of this series is to refocus on what the core of our faith is all about. To be with Jesus, which is what Grant shared on last week. To become like Jesus, which is what I'm going to be talking about today. And to do what Jesus did, which Caleb will be sharing on next week. Now this may appear very basic, but if the last two years has proved anything, is that we all struggle with these three things a lot more than we realise. You now, late last year, I was talking to my spiritual director about my relationship with Jesus in the last 10 or so years that I've been involved in ministry. And as I reflected, I had an insightful realisation. I realised that there are parts of my life that were a lot more like Jesus when I was 21 than I am now. Over my years in ministry, I feel like I've become a lot wiser and a lot more knowledgeable. I know my Bible a lot better. I'm far more skilled than I used to be. and I'm sure that I've grown in my character over this time too. However, I've also realised that I'm more cynical than I used to be. I'm not as joyful or as passionate as I once was. And probably the most painful realisation was realizing that the people who I love the most often get get the leftovers of who I am. The tired Ethan. The Ethan who struggles to listen. The Ethan who doesn't want to socialize. Believe it or not, being uh, being the extrovert I am, that still does happen. Now I know that not everything in life heads on an upward trajectory. I know that God is gracious. But over the last few months, I've realized that there's a few things that I need to change to help me become like Jesus and to get me back to the person who I really am. So that's the journey that I've currently been on. And don't worry, I'm not beating myself up. I still think I'm a pretty good guy most of the time. And I'm just not as healthy as I want to be. So the question I want to sit with us uh, the, so, the question I want to sit with today is Are you more like Jesus than you were five years ago? And if not, why not? Are you more like Jesus than you were five years ago? If not, why not? Now, we're going to explore this question later in the sermon, but first I want to delve into Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now most of my life, I thought this passage was a play on words because the brothers were both fishermen. However, the saying, come and follow me, and I will teach you how to become fishers of men, was a Hebrew expression that meant, follow me, and I'll show you how to become a great teacher, or a great rabbi. In this little passage, Jesus was claiming to be a great rabbi or teacher that was worthy of following. And in the Hebrew culture of the day, there were three levels of learning. The first was what they called Bet Sefer. Or house of the book. Kids would learn to read and write and do basic math. You're most, they were mostly taught from the Old Testament, and they were expected to remember the Torah, which uh, the Torah or Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible, all by the age of twelve. To put that in perspective, it's about a third of the Bible. Easy stuff, right? The second level of learning was what they called the Bet Talmud, or the House of Learning. And this was only for males between 12 and 15 years old, who were at the top of their class. They would learn from a full-time paid teacher, and they would memorize most, if not all, of the Old Testament. That's about two-thirds of the Bible. And the third level of learning was what they called a Talmudin, or a disciple or an apprentice of a rabbi. And this opportunity was only for the best of the best. They were the scholar students. Think Harvard, Oxford, or Kerry Baptist College, where I was a graduate from. The rabbis would come along and they would give them the opportunity to be an apprentice. And for the next few years, the Talmudim, that the apprentice, would learn to become like their rabbi in every aspect of their lives. And we see this with Jesus and his disciples. For three or so years, they went wherever Jesus went. They did whatever he asked them to do. And they did this with the intention that they would become like him. Now I want to pause here for a moment. Imagine giving up everything in your life for three years to become like Jesus. Your home, your family, your business or work. It's a huge sacrifice. But that's what the disciples did. Throughout this series, we are using the language of apprentice because because it is literally the process that the disciples took to become like Jesus. They spent three years learning the way of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to take three years off work to pray and read scripture and spend time with Jesus. However, I want to suggest that maybe there is an intentionality they they had that we could learn from. The second thing I want to point out is that unlike all the other rabbis, Jesus didn't recruit people for their intelligence or for their knowledge. Peter and Andrew were just humble fishermen. And the rest of the disciples were a pretty eclectic bunch of people. Jesus was looking for apprentices whose lives he could mould and shape into his own likeness, into the image of God, the image of Christ. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about this process as being a complete transformation of one's being. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image, that is the image or likeness of Jesus, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The word transformation is actually translated from the Greek word, "metamorphoo," where we get the English word metamorphosis. It's the word that is used for when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. What a beautiful image to describe the transformation that Jesus brings in our lives. Other New Testament descriptions of this transformation say it's like going from death to life or from old to new, or from being blind to being able to see. What is clear is that there should be a dramatic change in our lives when we come to understand the good news of Jesus. It's not a tweak, but rather a complete overhaul of our lives. Dallas uh, Dallas Willard, one of the most highly regarded authors in the area of Christian spirituality, writes this. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Now, I'm sure that all of us who believe in Jesus have experienced this transformation to, uh, this transformation in our lives to some degree. However, I also think That sometimes we get a little bit stuck. That our apprenticeship with Jesus can get derailed by different things that are going on in our lives. And sometimes we want to become like Jesus, but we just don't know how to change. So with the rest of this sermon, I want to take a look at the process of becoming like Jesus. Now the first thing to understand is that the process of formation is ongoing the question is not whether we are being formed but rather who or what we are being formed by and into let me repeat that the question is not whether we are being formed but rather who or what we are being formed by and into We're always being influenced. The difference is whether we are intentional about what those influences are. Let me touch on three key areas of unintentional formation. The first is the stories that we believe. We all have narratives that we live by to make sense of our lives. And these stories shape the way that we act and interact with others. For example, if we believe in the value of individualism, that everyone is independent and self-reliant, we are naturally going to put our own desires above those of the collective. And this will affect what we choose to commit to. It will affect how generous we are. It will shape the way that we interact with our family and our friends and our colleagues. The second unintentional influence is the habits that we buy into. We are little more than what we do on a regular basis. The things that we do do something to us. Our habits get into the core of our being and they shape our loves and our longings. Or in the New Testament, it is described as the desires of our hearts. You know, when I was about 18, I got into investing in the share market. I set up my account. I did a whole lot of research and I bought my first shares. And then every few months I kept on investing some more money. But with this, I became increasingly fixated on how my shares were performing. So I'd spend all this time reading articles about investing in the companies that I had bought. I'd always spend time talking about it with my mates. I'd be excited when the shares were going up and frustrated when they were tanking. Eventually, I realized that it was starting to dominate my life. So I made a conscious decision to only look at my portfolio once a month. Now, I still love reading and talking about investments. But I've learned that I need to be careful that this doesn't become an idol in my life. And this can go for all sorts of things. It can be our hobbies. It can be social media. It can be fitness or spending or alcohol or coffee. What we love has a far bigger effect on our lives than the truth that we believe in our heads. Let me repeat that one more time. What we love has a far bigger effect on our lives than the truth that we may believe in our heads. Our habits shape our loves and our longings. And the third unintentional influence is we are shaped by the people who we we are surrounded by. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and be a little bit provocative, so be gracious with me. But take politics for an example. I reckon I have an 80% hit rate on knowing who people will vote for based on where they grew up, what they studied and do for a living, and what their parents did for a career. If you are in business, or you are a farmer, or you live in a wealthy area like here on the shore, the chances are significantly higher that we're going to vote for national. But if you work as a social worker or a teacher or you live in a lower socioeconomic area, the chances are significantly higher that you will vote for Labour. Now, obviously, these, gen- these are generalisations and there are people who are open to changing. But for the most part, people vote in the same way that those around them do. A recent and very controversial example of this is how people have interacted around COVID and the mandates. Now, I'm not daring enough to generalise this publicly, but again, in 80% of the conversations that I have, I already know what people's views will be before they even say anything. We think we have come to our own well-thought-out perspectives. However, more often than not, we are just a product of those around us. And this is just as true for how we practice our faith and see the world around us. So how do we actually become like Jesus? I want to suggest three intentional practices that we can do that correlate with these unintentional influences that we all live with. The first is teaching. It is getting biblical teaching that critiques the stories we believe. It's finding biblical truth. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we want to become like Jesus, we need to understand His intentions for us. We need to let his words shape our lives. We need to be learning and then applying these things to our lives. But sermons on Sunday are not enough for this. We are constantly being bombarded by different narratives. So we need to be constantly reading scripture and engaging with a wide range of Christian literature and podcasts and other things that can give us a wider, more Christ-like perspective. Now, the second practice that we need to do is to invest into Christian community. Now, you may be thinking, well, how is this different to other relationships? The difference is having a spiritual community of people who encourage you, who pray with you, and who speak truth into your life. Now, I'm not talking about going to big gatherings where we have conversations about the weather or sport or the last restaurant that we went to. I'm talking about finding people that we can share our soul with, where we can be truly authentic and vulnerable. Because when we are under attack from the devil, or when we are feeling low, or when we are going through grief, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to bear our burdens with us. It's great for those of you who who can do this with your spouse or as a family, but I want to suggest that we actually need more than that. We need close friendships as well. And the third practice is to establish life-giving spiritual practices. Jesus took a Sabbath once a week to worship and to rest and to regather himself for ministry. He separated himself from from the crowds and, and from the disciples so that he could have times of solitude where he could process his grief, recharge from being around people, and he can ponder on decisions that he had to, make. Uh, had to make. We see him making time for prayer and fasting so that he could foster his relationship with the Father. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Note the words, come to me. Come to me. Spiritual practices are how we let Jesus nourish and heal and restore us. It's where we find rest from the toil of our lives. We can't expect Jesus to change everything that is going on inside of us if we don't allow him the space to move. Now, I'll confess this is where I went wrong. I love learning and I love community. But what I haven't been so good at is making time to be one-on-one with Jesus. And over time, I've become spiritually and emotionally exhausted. I get frustrated more easily. I'm quicker to take things into my own hands rather than taking them to Jesus in prayer. So that's what I've been working on recently. I'm still not the best at it. It's not my natural bent. However, in the last month in particular, I have felt the closeness of Jesus in my life like never before. He's revealed a lot of stuff that I need to work on. He has brought a lot of healing in my life. And I have a deep sense of comfort, knowing that he is with me all the way. From my interactions uh, with people here at Windsor Park, I think that this is probably the area where we may need to grow the most. It's the times of solitude where we can reflect. It's having Sabbaths where we actually just stop, rest and reset. It's fostering an intimate prayer life. It's coming to Jesus and letting him heal us and comfort us and mold us and encourage us and transform us and lead us by his Holy Spirit. That's what I think we really need to lean into right now. That's what I'd love to see out of this preaching series. My hope is that we would increasingly become a community that is in tune and led by the Holy Spirit, both as individuals and also as a church. So what is it that you need to do when the service finishes today? Now, we would love to pray with you. We would love to connect you into a life group or a Bible study. We would love to resource you to to grow your faith further. We'd love to help you develop spiritual rhythms or an intimate prayer life. What do you need to do to become more like Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross for us more than 2,000 years ago. But even more than that, I thank you that you live with us now. Lord, that we can cry out to you. That we can share our frustrations with you. That we can share our joys and our gratitude with you. Lord, I pray for every single person in our church. Or that we would come into a deeper relationship with you. Help us to understand your word better so that we may see the world in the way that you see it. Lord, help us to invest in our church community or in relationships with other Christians where we can encourage each other, keep each other accountable, where we can pray with one another and share our hurts. And Lord, I I pray that we could develop spiritual practices where we can just spend time with you. Lord, Sabbaths, times of solitude where we can reflect, times of prayer and fasting. Lord, and in that process, in all of those processes, we pray that you would transform our lives so that we may become more like you.